One, two, one, two, three, four. Hey everybody, it's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sail Tacker Podcast. We've got a great show for you today. We've got Scott Ulrich, the Chief Operating Officer of DocuSign on the show. DocuSign is a multi-billion dollar company. They're creating a category that they call the Agreement Cloud. So it's much, much bigger than e-signature. And it's just really cool to talk to somebody that's built categories. You know, we talked to Anthony Canada who helped grow Gainsight and, and build out customer success as a category. And now we're talking to Scott Ulrich and he's done it at Responsus. And now he's doing it at DocuSign and he's just got incredible insights and expertise. So it's great. Also, DocuSign is a sponsor of today's episode. So every sales org feels the pressure to close deals faster. Take control with the DocuSign Agreement Cloud. That is Scott's brainchild and creation. The Agreement Cloud is a suite of tools that automate sales contracts and quotes all right in your CRM. Create custom contracts in a click, sign them digitally, and automatically pull data back into your opportunities. See why more than half a million businesses use DocuSign with a free trial and discount exclusively for Sales Hacker listeners at go.docusign.com forward slash sales hacker. That's go.docusign.com forward slash sales hacker. Our other sponsor today is Outreach. Outreach is the leading sales engagement platform. They support sales reps by enabling them to humanize communications at scale, from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to providing access action-oriented tips on what communications are working best. Outreach has your back. Now, without further ado, let's listen to Scott Ulrich, the Chief Operating Officer of DocuSign. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast. We are honored and excited today to have one of the leading executives in Silicon Valley and really in in kind of the, the enterprise software space. We've got Scott Ulrich on the show. Scott is the chief operating officer at DocuSign, where he focuses on orchestrating DocuSign's vision, strategy, marketing, and enablement efforts around the world. Scott brings over 25 years of leadership experience and a proven track record for driving innovation, market adoption, and hypergrowth to his role at DocuSign. Previously, he held a variety of senior management roles at Responsus alongside Dan Springer, including president of marketing and platform, chief marketing and sales officer, and CMO. Prior to joining Responsus, Scott held strategy, sales, and marketing, and product management roles at Topeka, Spark Online, Accenture, and Xerox. He received his degree from San Diego State University. Scott, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Sam. We're excited to have you. So, you know, typically uh, the way that we start, as I say, my favorite phrase is we like to contextualize your expertise. So we know your title is CEO, Chief Operating Officer. We know you're at DocuSign. How big is DocuSign as an organization, roughly? So we're over uh, 4,000 employees, and uh, we actually were just uh, ranked number three on the best places to work for large size companies uh, in Glassdoor just on Monday. Well, congratulations. I'm sure you had a lot to do with that. So that's fantastic. And of course, you know, all of us, the the electronic signature, maybe like the electronic document management category has been really, really important to businesses. It's frankly helped a lot of our businesses and my businesses where I've worked accelerate sales velocity just by making things easier to get done. So we love the category and we uh, we're excited to hear a little bit more. But before we do that, share a little bit more about, about the journey, about your background. You know, I read off the, the bio, which is incredibly impressive, but tell us how you got to DocuSign and, and a little bit about how, how you evolved into COO of a, of a major public company. Great. Well, I, I started my career actually in college. I was a sales development rep for Xerox before they even uh, called them sales development reps. So kind of selling is near and dear uh, to my heart. But my real first job out of college was uh, working for Anderson Consulting. 
And uh, I was a business process reengineering consultant. In that day and age, it was really about how do you save costs? And I actually got put in a group with a very uh, uh, small number of people focusing on business process reengineering that was really focused on demand generation. And so we were focusing on how do we help companies grow faster? And that really stuck with me for my whole career because I, I really think about companies now. You have kind of four main processes in a business. You develop products that you can sell. Then you ultimately have to generate demand for those products. Then you have to fulfill the demand. And then you got to need to manage your enterprise. So I've really seen myself as a demand generation person through and through. So I, I was had a successful career there. Uh, and then I went out and uh, helped uh, create a company called Topica. And then eventually built joined Dan Springer at Responsis, which we built that company from uh, approximately $7 million in revenue to a large public company that we ultimately sold to Oracle uh, for $1.6 billion. Wow. And then I, uh, then I founded and another company called Heighten, uh, which was a company in the sales tech space um, coming from the marketing space. And uh, we ultimately sold that to LinkedIn. And then uh, I rejoined Dan Springer about three years ago to help drive DocuSign, not only in, in rethinking the category, but more importantly, to drive the growth to ultimately taking it public where we are today. Well, congratulations on all that growth. And, you know, how did you, I guess you've had so much success. What was, what were the motivating factors that led to choosing to join DocuSign specifically? Like, how do you make that decision given you, you know, from a lot of perspectives from people that are listening, you've already kind of reached the summit of so many different mountains. So what was it about DocuSign that so inspired you? Well, one of the things that I, I always say that I, I'm always trying to look for what's next. And uh, so I describe myself as someone that doesn't necessarily live in today. I kind of live in the future. And so if I go back and I look at what I did at Responses, we joined that. That was an email marketing company. And I said, you know, hey, the bigger problem is not email marketing. The bigger problem is you had people that were working in San Francisco sending email campaigns and you had people in Chicago doing social campaigns and you had people in New York doing mobile campaigns and they weren't talking to each other. And it was creating what I called the campaign crisis. And so you had an unorchestrated customer experience and you had an unorchestrated marketing organization. And what was really needed was a platform where you could orchestrate your marketing across all channels. And so I created that vision. Ultimately, it led to the creation of what we call today marketing clouds. And so I, I believe that one of my biggest strengths is really thinking about the future and actually recreating a narrative to start describing what the future products companies are going to really want. And that drives the products they ultimately build and how we get our salespeople to actually talk to customers. And so we were, were really successful at doing that at Responses. And I thought the exact same opportunity could uh, take place here at DocuSign, which is, hey, they had this really strength in e-signature, but e-signature was just part of the problem. So of course, yeah, you want electronically signed agreements, but how do you actually get those agreements prepared before you actually have to sign? And what once you sign them, you actually need to act on or fulfill on the obligations of those agreements and then manage those agreements across your business. But I realized that that whole process just wasn't modernized for the speed of today's business. And there was an opportunity to really reshape DocuSign from an e-signature company into what I call an agreement cloud company today. That's exciting. And Sounds difficult. So when you talk about an agreement cloud, you know, you, you mentioned a few, I guess, additional or tangential or related 
you can call them use cases or maybe just part of the, the customer journey as it relates to, you know, this concept of the agreement cloud. But what is the agreement cloud? Tell us what you mean more specifically. Yeah. So if you um, if you think about today, increasingly companies want to buy into platforms. So if you think about the front office, you think of marketing, sales and service, increasingly people want to buy into a CRM platform and increasingly the leader in that category is Salesforce.com. Or you think about the back office, you think about ERP and you think about HR and IT, companies like SAP or Workday or ServiceNow, those are becoming large platform companies that are serving the back office. Now, every one of those front office platforms, think about Salesforce or the back office, I gave you SAP, Workday, ServiceNow, front office process and back office process, they all intersect with one thing. And and that one thing they intersect with is agreements and agreement processes. So we believe the agreement cloud is the underlying platform because businesses run on agreements and they're virtually everywhere across a business. But those agreements have to intersect with business processes. So the goal is if you're uh, in sales and you have a sales agreement that you need to create, you should be able to do that with DocuSign, with our agreement cloud. When you need to get agreement that sales agreement signed, you should use DocuSign to get that signed. Once the agreement's signed, you shouldn't have to actually take the agreement and have to recode everything that was agreed to in that agreement manually. That should automatically be distributed into the right systems, whether that's a front office system or back office system. And then we need to have a place for you to manage those agreements and easily find them so you understand, hey, what companies are getting these terms that are maybe standard or non-standard. So our goal as the agreement cloud company is to help you automate and connect every part of the process of agreement from preparing, signing, and acting, and managing agreements, and connect those to every core business process in a company, whether it's across the front office or back office. Well, that's really exciting. The, you know, we, us just, to, just diving into a little bit on, on category creation, you know, some folks out there are, are familiar with why category creation is so important and can lead to such outsized returns. But when you're thinking about category creation. I guess the first question is, why do you think it's so important? And then the second question would be, if you're an early stage company, because we've got lots of early stage companies that are listening, what do you think from their marketing department or their COO's office or CEO's office, what are the first steps they need to be thinking about when it comes to, you know, good category creation? So category creation starts with the narrative. It's what, and I always think about when I'm creating a narrative, what is the narrative that I want our salespeople to talk to our customers. What is going to make sense to them? And it's going to paint a picture of what the bigger problem is going to be. It's about reframing the customer and get them to see the problem from your worldview. And you really want to get them to believe what you believe. If you get your customer to believe what you believe or your prospect, you're going to win. And it, it starts there. So what is that narrative? It can't be this, you know, so we're going to sell DocuSign Mori signature because we sell the agreement cloud, right? That doesn't, just because if you believe in the agreement cloud, that doesn't mean you're going to buy last e-signature. So first off, you have to understand what's the bigger narrative and picture uh, and where the world is going to go. And then the hard part for companies, though, once you know that narrative and your sales rep can articulate it, you need to make sure you drive your products to actually reflect that narrative. So if you're going to say you're the agreement cloud company, when your SE opens the product, it better look like an agreement cloud company. And when they actually talk to your customer success people, 
you better have services to support the entire agreement lifecycle. You better not just have support people that can support the e-signature part of the agreement process. So for me, I really see myself as the chief orchestrating officer of DocuSign. My job is really to create the narrative. And the narrative that we rewrote at uh, DocuSign is that we want to help people be more agreeable. And what do we mean by that? Well, we believe that every single company needs to be easier to do business with, they need to be easier to do business for, and they need to be easier on the environment. And then we said, well, how are we going to help people uh, and companies be more agreeable? We said, hey, we're going to help them modernize this entire agreement process across preparing, signing, and acting, and managing. And then we said, how are we going to do that? Well, we're not going to just do it with the signature. Now we're going to do it with the agreement cloud. So the key thing is being able to create that narrative and then drive that all the way down into every single part of your business. And all of us have experienced what it feels like to actually be on the receiving end of an orchestrated company or experience. And that's exactly what you need to do in these businesses. How did these lessons come to you? Was it sort of trial and error at responses? Was there a, a light bulb moment? How did you figure out the base, these tools of developing the narrative and selling into the narrative? Because it's fairly sophisticated, and, and I'm not sure that there's a school, quote unquote, to go to. So how did you learn these skills? Well, I've been selling all my life, but I think part of it, you have to have some, you have to test messages. You have to see how people react to it. But there's been a lot of different folks. There's uh, Jeffrey Moore wrote a book called Provocation Selling. There was a new book called Challenger Selling. Actually, to tell you the truth, when these things came out, I was uh, I was a little disappointed because I felt like I was instinctually doing this all of my life. But the whole idea behind a lot of this research that have come out over the last kind of decade is that, hey, you need to challenge your, your customers' thinking. You need to go in and not just sell something, but go teach them something they didn't know before you got there. And so I've always wanted to be the thought leader in a category. I didn't want to just go sell products. I want to go sell the future. And I think the best companies are creating the future. And even when I got to responses, I went and interviewed a whole bunch of companies. And I said, hey, what should the strategy of responses be? And someone said, hey, just stay being an email marketing company. And if I listened to that research, the company would have never achieved what it achieved. So I think you need to understand and challenge customers' perspectives and thinking and try to paint a better picture of what the future is that they think makes sense and they believe in. And that doesn't mean they have to get there today, but they're going to buy your solution because they know they're not going to grow out of it. They know they can grow into it. And so I've seen that time and time again to be so important. If you really have a great narrative of what the future is and you paint a vision of your company, your products and services, even if they don't need that all today, they'll buy into that vision and they'll spend more and you'll be less commoditized and your sales organization is just going to have a lot more fun. So let's let's focus on on the sales organization. So let's say you're you're one of, you know you're not DocuSign, uh, you're you're not a, a billion dollar company that's growing forty percent year over year, but you're a smaller company looking to do this. How do you think the sales team needs to adapt when you're selling a new category, and, and how does it benefit the salesperson? Well, I think you need some early success stories, and uh, I've been in, involved in big some companies like DocuSign and Responses, but I've also have a lot of experience working in early companies. So you need to you need some of those early initial wins and. That takes a lot of effort. And sometimes you're going to come in second place and you got to figure out what's going to get you in first place. But I think the answer is 
not trying to do the same thing the largest incumbent is doing in the category. You won't win that way. So you need to change the game. And you need to figure out a couple of the unique things that you're going to be able to deliver on that are going to be really important and create a narrative that drives the prospect and customer to believe that those unique two or three things that you can do are more important to their business. And so I think too much times I see small companies, they try to go battle straight on with the competitor versus figure out those two or three things that you can do uniquely um, that it doesn't have to be all the things and make sure that you create a narrative that elevates those into the priority uh, of, of what the customer is going to look, look, uh, look for in that product or service. I think that that's really, really important because what, what do you think the, the, so the biggest mistakes, because there are so many, you know, a lot of folks out there that are listening are salespeople or sales managers or just, you know, executives at, cat, at companies in categories that are directly where, where the competitors are directly matching feature for feature. Yep. And so if you're one of those salespeople, your point is the, cat, the concept of category creation helps redefine the question in the customer's mind that maybe helps them get to you know, a different kind of sale. Any other advice for those types? Because honestly, again, if you can look at like a Lumascape or whatever kind of competitive ecosystem map that you want to look at, so many companies have direct feature for feature competitors. So what's your advice to those companies besides sort of lean into category creation? Any other insights? Because DocuSign competes directly with a bunch of other companies, Responses did. What's your advice? Yeah. So I think that um, it's, a, it's a great question. If you look at Responses, we were going into a very crowded field. Um, if you look at how many email marketing companies there are out there today, it's getting commoditized. And I think our insight was it wasn't about sending email. That wasn't the insight. That was not the problem. The problem was that you had to be able to deliver communications across multiple channels. And so what we did is we said, hey, we weren't going to focus on building the best email campaign management solution. We were going to focus on building the best orchestration platform because that was going to win. And we also taught our sales reps to be able to articulate that problem to marketers. And marketers said, yeah, that is my problem. You know us. And we said, okay, well, we might not have this feature that that other competitor has an email, but we're solving the orchestration problem. That's your bigger problem. And we just started winning and winning. And the fact that we invested in that area five years ahead of all our competitors, our competitors, it took them so long to catch up to us. We had such a head start. And then we made sure our services organization. So I think you need to understand what is going to help you win in the future. What is that unique different? And then put everything you have, go all in on those things, and then train your sales organization, train your, your customer success organization, your SEs. So you've got to stand out. But you can't stand out just by marketing. It, has to, it takes the strategy, it takes the sales reps being highly educated and being able to challenge your customers that that's how they should view the world. And then you got to deliver on it. You have to deliver it from a product perspective and a customer perspective, a customer success perspective. That's why I'm such a believer in orchestration. You've got to get all this stuff orchestrated. That's the hard part. But once you do, it's hard to lose.
Is category creation the right strategy for every company? Are there signs or indications that it's that a company should sort of take a leap? Because I'm, I think, you know, one of the things that probably is in the mind of founders, early executives, is just thinking about the fact that category creation is probably, you know, it's a five, probably a 10-year journey. Yep. And it is a very long game. And most of the early stage executives that I meet with are so anxious slash nervous slash focused on hitting a near-term revenue target to continue to justify the growth story that they've sold to investors that they they feel like a 10-year time horizon is is just too hard to wrap their minds around. So what are the signs that they that's whatever that truth is, they need to start thinking about it because it's time for them to be thinking about category creation. Yeah. I think the first off it you need to make sure and start with your customers because the companies that create categories, they drive growth too, right? So you got to drive success. So the very first thing you do need to do is, hey, how do you create a dialogue and narrative that you can talk to your customers and prospects that drive them to take action and buy into your vision? So is that that's that's really pre-category creation. You're not going to, you know, it, just because you say you're going to create a category, but if your customers and your company's not really successful. It's not really category creation. So I think the first thing is get the right narrative that's going to get your prospects and customers to buy into what you're doing. And ultimately, that will lead to a category. And typically, those companies, they start someplace, and then they keep reinventing themselves. You saw that with Salesforce.com. Salesforce.com started out as kind of the world's first SFA solution in the cloud. And then they said, hey, our narrative changed. Mark said, hey, it's going to be about the social enterprise. He bought Buddy Media and a few other companies. And then he said, hey, no, I think that was a slight deviation. I want to get back to creating kind of the world's number one CRM solution. They went out and bought Exact Target and others. And then he said, hey, the next part of the narrative is to become the world's number one smart CRM platform. And he's made investments in, in Einstein and others. So the narrative builds. It doesn't, you don't just set the the narrative and, and, and category from day one, it constantly evolves. So you have to think about where you are in a company, if you're very small, figure out, hey, what's the right message and narrative to get the customers to buy into your vision today? And that will continue to evolve. So you don't have to have the full category figured out at day one, but you better figure out the right narrative at that moment in time that's going to differentiate your company. Makes a lot of sense. Question just sort of shifting gears a little bit because you your career is incredible. You're you know COO of a major company, a company that all of us use every day. What are the lessons as you reflect back on you know uh, on your career? What do you think are the skills that enabled you to become a chief operating officer? And then there's a related question because I'm getting a lot of questions from my colleagues who are executives on. How do you define COO? It seems to be a very fluid job title. Sometimes it's responsible for some things and not others. So in your mind, what is a COO? But first of all, how did you get here and what do you attribute your success to? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question. I get that asked a, a lot and I think about it quite a bit. Um, see, I've been lucky that I, I live in Silicon Valley and there's been incredible opportunities here. So I don't believe it's all uh, on my back, but I, I believe that I was in the right position. But I think I was always trying to think about the future. And I think one of my skill sets is I think I can see things before others can see them. And then I am able to put them into a package and narrative and then drive the orchestration of 
whether that's sales, marketing, product, customer success. I think I, I think I have a really strong knack for that. Second thing I think I've run really successfully is I've really drafted off of other people, um, either people that work for me or I work for. So uh, Dan Springer and I, uh, he's the CEO of DocuSign. He was also the CEO for Responses. We've had a business partnership for 17 years. And there's things that Dan does, and he's much better at than I am. And there's things that I'm better at than he is. And uh, we're very open in that. And, uh, and we really draft off of each other. And I think that's really important that you find people that allow you to really accentuate your skills. And so for me, I spend most of my time focused on strategy. And I think about growth. And I think about optimization of go-to-market, how to orchestrate. And Dan spends a lot of time on business management and managing the board and Wall Street. And those are things that he's super strong at and it allows me to do things. So I think you really want to figure out how to draft. And I've built up a strong team that's uh, been able to work uh, for me. And I, and I don't necessarily hire people that just have the skills that I have. I look for people that are very analytical uh, because I feel like I have a lot of intuition. So I think drafting has been something. But ultimately, I truly believe that I just wanted it more than most people. I, I think that, you know, if you really want it more, the people that I've seen that have been really successful, that's what it really takes. And uh, at the end of the day, just like a great athlete, you've got to put in the cycle. You've got to put in the time. And uh, I feel like I've attacked my career just like an athlete would attack it. And uh, I really focused uh, on doing and getting good at what I do. And, uh, and that's really creating categories for companies. And once you've done that several times, there's a pattern recognition that you have in your head that it's much easier for me to come into DocuSign and say, hey, the vision for this company is around becoming the agreement cloud company. And people go, oh, that makes sense. Why did I think of that? And it's just easier for me to do because I've been doing it. And it's the way I think and the way I've trained myself that uh, allows me to see things that maybe others uh, haven't. We're going to come back to that. I might ask you to make some predictions, given that you've said a few times now you can see into the future. So we're going to ask you a few things. But uh, but one of the questions I have is you mentioned drafting off of others. And really what you're talking about is complementing the strengths and weaknesses, understanding you know, what somebody else good at, what are you good at, and then making sure that you complement each other. There's a lot of folks out there that are early in their career that they don't actually know what they're good at, and they, they may not have a process for figuring it out. Do you have any tools, systems, frameworks, suggestions, thoughts, any way of how have you figured out what you are good at and, and areas of, of for development? And then the following question is, what's your point of view on, you know, some people are advocates of like identify your your weaknesses and work to improve them. Mm-hmm. And then the other point of view might be identify your weaknesses or your areas for improvement and let them be and just double down on your strengths and understand that you're not going to be able to change all of your behaviors. Where do you fall out on that? And, and how do you figure out what you're good at and what you're bad at? Love that question, Sam. So I'm a believer if you're spending all your time thinking about things you're not good at, your life is going to be pretty stressful. And I think that's arguably you, your insight is, it was is spot on. And I think one of the reasons why people go, Scott, you've always loved your jobs. Why is that? And I think it's because I've really focused on the things and, and 
put myself in positions. And I've even not taken jobs because I didn't think those jobs would allow me to focus on my strengths. So I, I just don't spend a lot of time stressing out about things that I'm not good at. So if you don't stress out, you're probably doing things that you're good at. When you're stressed, you're probably working on things that you're not so good at. And I think the honest, the other thing is you should be, you need to be very self-aware and you need to be truthful with yourself. And so I think you can ask people, but if you're a pretty self-aware person, you probably know what you're good at. And I think you're better off, stop pretending that you're good at things that you're not good at. If you talk to Dan, my business partner for 17 years here, he, you know, one of the things he'll say he loves about our partnership is that we don't pretend we're good at things that we're not good at. And it's kind of liberating. And I think a lot of executives in Silicon Valley, I think all over the world, they're all pretending they're good at certain things. And they're actually not really good at those things. And they're better off saying, hey, I'm really great at this. You should do that. And uh, so, so my coaching is, hey, find out what you're really, really good at and spend your, spend your life accentuating that gift. Because certain people, we all have gifts. Accentuate your gift and find people that can help you and support you in the areas that you're not as uh, gifted at. And I think you'll be a happier person. I think you'll be a lot more successful. I'm sure some of the reason that people feel like they have to fake it is because they feel like incompetence or a lack of strength in a specific area is disqualifying for positions maybe that they want. Are there certain things that, you know, if you're not good at those things, maybe it's like being a people person or enjoying working with others, that they, they are disqualifying to be an executive at a public company, in your opinion? Or do you feel like if you're good at enough things, you can always find ways to complement your areas for development? I think a lot of it, you have to look who you're going to work for. So you want to find people that actually understand your unique strength and appreciate that strength, right? So I have people that have different strengths that work for me, and I really appreciate their strength, even though their strengths are different than mine. And my business partner, Dan, has strengths and, uh, and that, that are different than mine. So I think you really want to go find people that appreciate your strengths. So when you go look for a job, make sure that whoever you're working for understands and values your particular strengths and will make sure that they support you in the areas that you're weaker. That will set you up for success. And you know, that's, that would be the coaching that I would give to any young person earlier in their career. Love it. So let's talk about the future a little bit. First, we want to give you an opportunity to, to tell us about what's going to happen at DocuSign. And then I might have a few other questions for you. But, you know, looking into the future, what's next for DocuSign? Another new category? You're going to continue growing the Agreement Cloud? Tell us about some of the plans. Well, uh, I always joke, hey, we're the Agreement Cloud company. Next year will be the Agreement Cloud company. And the year after will be the Agreement Cloud company. The good news is we kind of know who we want to be. And that allows us to, to be really focused. But that doesn't mean that we won't want to make the agreement cloud bigger and smarter. So one of the things that we're thinking a lot about and already making investments in is how do we make our agreement cloud smart? So if you can imagine today, yeah, the agreement cloud will help you prepare and sign and act and manage agreements. It will help you connect the entire agreement process. That's a huge first step. But we see a future world where you'll go into DocuSign and you will actually author smart living agreements. I like to use the example of a ride-sharing uh, example. So if you, uh, you're a uh, person that worked for a ride-sharing company, you go into DocuSign and you want to create a new driver agreement. You go into DocuSign and say, hey, I need your first name. I need your last name. 
I'm going to need your uh, proof of your uh, license plate. I need your driver's license. I need proof of insurance. And you need to agree to a background check. You program that as part of working a DocuSign, and then you take that uh, agreement and you actually place it up uh, on your website, www.blank new driver agreement. And then new driver would go in and fill that information out. And when they hit sign, that agreement is actually self-executing. It's doing a background check. It's actually looking at your proof of insurance. It's looking at your driver's license. It's validating all of that stuff real time. And then uh, you get a notification on your mobile device. Now you're approved to, to actually drive uh, with that ride sharing company because we actually did the background check and all the stuff was valid. And then three months in, you get a notification that you need to actually update your insurance. So we believe in a world where the agreement cloud is going to become smart, very similar to ways the, like Salesforce is going to make their CRM system smart, or SAP is going to work on making their ERP system smart. That's going to be the big future for DocuSign, and uh, we're uh, extremely excited about that future. Any other predictions about the future as we head into the next decade? We're in the last few days of this decade, which sometimes I have to remind myself. But what other patterns do you see across the technology landscape, across the global landscape? And, you know, specifically, I'm interested in, because your background is in marketing and demand generation, it's really, how do you think buyer, the buyers are going to evolve? And what do you think sort of companies in general need to evolve about their sales process to address the changing needs and buying processes of our customers out there? Yeah, great question. So I think it's going to get more and more challenging for smaller companies because I think you're going to see more and more consolidation, especially in the mid-market to enterprise where companies want fewer solutions. And because they want core platforms that they're leveraging for core functions in companies, and they need to connect those platforms uh, together. So I, I see companies like Salesforce.com getting bigger. I see companies like uh, DocuSign I see uh, on the agreement cloud side, and I see core platforms in the back office, whether that's SAP or Oracle uh, or Workday. They're all trying to support HR, procurement, financial services, IT. Those things are consolidating, and so I see fewer, bigger cloud companies in the future. And so that's on that side. How, how the buyer journey is changing, I think that increasingly you're seeing a lot of people do demand gen, and I think a lot of the content and offers out there are lower value. And I think if you look at McKinsey, for example, McKinsey goes out and they put out very thoughtful content that is thought-provoking, that's well-researched, it's less clickbait kind of stuff. And I think you're going to see a move and shift in the demand gen space to higher value offers that are more tied back to the unique benefits of those companies versus lots of little type of marketing tactics where there's not a lot of substance. I think that consumers and buyers now are really looking for original thought and thought leadership from the companies that they're gonna buy from, because it's not just about the technology, it's really gonna be about how they use the technology. And that is as important or more important of what they're gonna be buying from uh, vendors in the future. 
I love it. And it's, it's a great insight. Scott, it's been, uh, it's been amazing having you on the show. We're coming to the end of our, our time together. And what we like to do in sort of the last few minutes is pay it forward a little bit and, and acknowledge or recognize important influences on you, whether it's a favorite book or a favorite uh, entrepreneur or CEO. So when you think about some of those influences, maybe some of your favorite books or your favorite book or some of your favorite category creators, who are some of the, the folks or the content or the ideas that come to mind and who should we recognize and who do you want us to know about? So Jeffrey Moore is, uh, as a guy that, uh, I think has done, and contributed a ton to Silicon Valley. So if you look at his crossing book, Crossing the Chasm, it's arguably been one of the best books in Silicon Valley and still is, sits on the, my bookshelf today. But he actually just wrote a new book called Zone Planning. I would argue it's one of the best books I've seen come out uh, in the last decade about how to strategically plan your company to catch the next wave. So a lot of companies will be able to execute and be successful in the first wave, but a lot of those companies fail to actually catch the next big wave of innovation. And his book, I think, does the best job of it describing how to plan and successfully architect your company to be able to catch the next wave. So I strongly encourage uh, listeners to, to take a look at his book. And he happens to be a, a personal and dear friend that I've done a lot of work with uh, over the years and really respect his thinking. And, uh, and the fact that uh, he's been doing it a long time and he's still going super strong. So Jeffrey Moore, for sure. The other thing is, is Mark Benioff. I think Mark has done an incredible job. I actually look at him as an orchestrator. Narrative drives everything he does in that company. He thinks narrative first, and uh, he is also leveraging the success that he's had at Salesforce to really help the world with a lot of his philanthropic uh, efforts, so much that's inspired a lot of things that we're doing here at DocuSign. We launched uh, DocuSign for Forest, uh, which is a major initiative, which we've allocated uh, $30 million to help uh, protect what we believe is one of the most important uh, assets to uh, protect global warming, which is uh, our forests. And uh, so I think he's done some incredible things, but I just look at how he drives the narrative and how that drives the acquisitions he does and how his salespeople talk uh, to their customers. He's arguably one of the best category creators out there. So I, uh, I, my hat goes off to him. That's fantastic. Any, uh, any final thoughts, any uh, guiding principles or a life motto you want to share with us before we sign off? No, I think, uh, you know, focus on what you're great at. And, uh, you know, hey, if you're going to go to work every day, you know, give it everything you have, because I believe whoever wants it more eventually wins. And uh, I think uh, make sure that uh, you're always thinking about what the future is. And, you know, just like I create narratives for companies. I believe that everybody should write their own narrative. We all have our own personal narratives. And so decide what your narrative is and, and write it. And uh, best of luck to, to each one of you. Thanks, Scott. Thanks so much for being on the show. Really inspiring words. And congrats on all the success over the career. But, but particularly, we're excited to see what happens at DocuSign. So thanks again for Great. being with thanks, us. Thanks, Sam. Hey folks, Sam's Corner, another fantastic interview, this time with the Chief Operating Officer at DocuSign. We're excited to have Scott on the show. A lot of really important insights, I think, there. 
putting aside, uh, obviously, a lot of you know what he was talking about is specifically talking about the power of DocuSign, and we, we know that he has a vested interest in, in wanting us to pursue a consumer a commercial relationship with DocuSign. But nevertheless, his insights are still really, really powerful, and I think a lot of what Scott talked about is simply. How important the narrative is, you know, and 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 uh, he talked about Mark Benioff. If you've read Mark Benioff's book Behind the Cloud, you may be familiar with sort of the strategic planning framework that they call V2 Mom, and it's V2 because there's two V's, and the first two are vision and values, and that's really when Scott's talking about narrative, he's talking about vision, the vision of where you want the organization to go, not from a feature perspective, not from a technical perspective, but what you want to have accomplished for your customers in the future, what putting yourself into the future and, and explaining what you have done and what you've accomplished, that's your vision. And um, that vision of putting yourself into the future and reflecting back on how you've helped your customers, how you've helped people solve their problem, that defines the strategy, right? That is the thing that determines what your strategy is because the whole time the North Star is putting yourself 10 years into the future and figuring out what is the story we're going to tell about how we've solved customers' problems. Not in terms of any specific functionality, not in terms of a feature, not in terms of a revenue number, but how you're helping people solve their problems. So first you articulate that vision and then the second part of it is your values because the, the values, and we're finding this at Revenue Collective and every organization finds it at one point, how do you solve problems? How do you make decisions and have you defined that? And have you written down what those values are, because those two things in combination, the vision and the values, those should be your your flashlight and your compass for when you're lost in the woods. Couple Those two things should help you get most of the places that you need to go, because you know which direction you're going and you have the values. You have the framework against which you're going to solve problems. You have rules that you apply. So I think Scott talking about the importance of narrative and how it drives strategy, I think is just really, really interesting. And it's exciting to hear you know companies that are really trying to change something big, because when you're pursuing a goal of category creation, you're really pursuing a multi-year journey. And as he was talking about, you know, if you're locked in a head-to-head competition with a, with a company that's competing directly with you, you've got to think about what are the, the unique things? You know, they call it the USP, the unique selling proposition, or the UVP, the unique value proposition. But what is the thing that your company or things that your company can do that any company cannot do? And you need to define the stakes of the game. You need to define the game itself in the context of those things that you can do that they cannot do. And frankly, against a bigger opportunity. If you're DocuSign, you know, e-signature is not big enough. It's a feature of a, of, a, of a vision, but it's not the vision itself. And lots and lots of companies can compete on e-signature. So that's why DocuSign is creating this thing called the Agreement Cloud, which is a much bigger idea than simply signing a contract. What it really is about is the automation of promises between customers and, and, and in a company and the automation of, of and the acceleration of that ability to deliver the value more quickly and more efficiently, which is pretty cool when you think about it that way, as opposed to just whether or not you can sign a contract on your phone, which by the way is also pretty cool and really has helped so many companies accelerate their sales. Can you imagine what it would take if every time you had to close a deal, you had to fax somebody something and get them to print it out and get them to sign it and fax it back? That would suck. So. Thank you, DocuSign, for all that you do. Of course, this episode of 
Sales Hacker Podcast is brought to you by DocuSign. And with DocuSign, you can execute contracts and get to revenue faster. Used by employees at 90% of the Fortune 500. Learn more at go.docusign.com forward slash sales hacker. Second sponsor is Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform. If you want to reach out to me, you can. LinkedIn.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. If you want to become a member of Revenue Collective, check out revenuecollective.com. We've got an associate program for people that are high-performing individual contributors, directors, managers, below the VP level. And then we've got the executive community for people above the VP level. We are in almost every city where there are high-growth companies in the world. And if not, we're happily start one. Uh, last week, I was on the phone with somebody from Singapore. From We did our first meetup in Berlin. We did one in Kansas City. We did one in Montreal last night. So we're growing quickly. And if you are interested in plugging into a peer community that is only and exclusively designed to support you as an individual in your career, check us out at revenuecollective.com. Otherwise, I will talk to you next time. Fire.